We're continuing our reading in the Srimad Bhagavatam. We're at the seventh canto, fifth chapter, Prahlad, the saintly son of Hirani Kashipu. And we're taking up at text number 38. 89. The demons, Rakshasas, the servants of Hiranyakashipu, thus began striking the tender parts of Prahlad Maharaj's body with their tridents. The demons all had fearful faces, sharp teeth, and reddish coppery beards and hair, and they appeared extremely threatening, making a tumultuous sound, shouting, chop him up, pierce him. They began striking Prahlad Maharaj, who sat silently meditating upon the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Even though a person who has no assets in pious activities performs some good deed, it will have no result. Thus the weapons of the demons had no tangible effects upon Prahlad Maharaj because he was a devotee undisturbed by material conditions and fully engaged in meditating upon and serving the Supreme Personality of Godhead who is unchangeable who cannot be realized by the material senses, and who is the soul of the entire universe. Purport. Prahlad Maharaj was constantly and fully engaged in thought of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. As it is said, Govinda Parirambita, Prahlad Maharaj engaged himself always in meditation, and thus he was protected by Govinda. Just as a small child on the lap of his father or mother is fully protected, a devotee in all conditions is protected by the Supreme Lord. Does this mean that when Prahlad Maharaj was attacked by the demons, the Rakshasas, Govinda was also attacked by the demons? This is not possible. There have been many attempts by the demons to hurt or kill the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but he cannot be injured by any material means, because he is always transcendence, because he is always in transcendence. Therefore, the words Pari Brahmani are used here. The demons, the Rakshasas, can neither see nor touch the Supreme Lord, although they may superficially think that they are striking the Lord's transcendental body with their transcendental wep- with their material weapons. The Supreme Personality of God, it is described in this verse as Anir Deshye, we can understand him to be in a particular place, for he is all-pervasive. Moreover, he is Akilatma, the active principle of everything, even material weapons. Those who cannot understand the position of the Lord are unfortunate. They may think that they can kill the Supreme Personality of Godhead and his devotee, but all their attempts will be futile. The Lord knows how to deal with them. There's a similar way in which... uh, People who are materialistically oriented try to see the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But because the senses are imperfect, although we may have a microscope, the microscope is made of atoms. Therefore, you can't see anything that's uh, more subtle than that, and more subtle than atoms, that is. And, and uh, similarly, you can't see the back of, I can't see the back of my eyelid because it's too close. And similarly, we can't see things that are far away. And the, the mind, although it's very subtle, 
is a, as a material as a pile of rocks. And with a pile of rocks, you can understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Only by the uh, mercy of the Lord, when one performs devotional service, uh, can he exercise his prerogative to reveal himself. Therefore, the Padma Purana says, Atashi Krishnamadi Nabaved Grahim Indriye Sevan Mukhihi Jivado Swayam Evas Puratyada. That we can't understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead with our blunt material senses. But if we begin serving him with our tongues, then Krishna may reveal himself to us. And that, that is the, again, prerogative of the, um, somebody look up that word, please, of the unlimited to reveal himself to the limited. But the limited can't force his way into the realm of the unlimited and, and observe him. So the modern scientific methods are um, not effective in understanding the Supreme Personality of God, and one has to take a different course of action that is, one has to take to devotional service and become very humble. Go ahead. What is the meaning of prerogative? An exclusive special right, power, or privilege, such as one belonging to an office, an official body. Thank you, Alex. One belonging to a person, group, or class of individuals, one possessed by a nation as an attribute of sovereignty. Oh, could you put the word up too, please? And also, um, other, I just want to see the spelling. And uh, Mukharavinda Prabhu put in that it's late Middle English, Old French from Latin, prarego. The verdict of the political division, which was, my goodness gracious, prerogative. A right or privilege or exclusive. Okay. Uh, the verdict of political division, which was chosen to first to vote first in the assembly. Feminine used as a noun. Prerogativus asked first from pray before and rogari asked <laughs> you get the first ask the lord has the prerogative okay so similarly uh, those who are protected by the supreme personality of godhead cannot be violated by anyone because they're using their gross senses and Whatever weapons the demons use on Prahlad Maharaj were not affected because he was protected by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That's not understandable to those who are atheists. Text number 42. My dear King Yudhishthir, when all the attempts of the demons to kill Prahlad Maharaj were futile, the king of the demons, Hiranyakashipu, being most fearful, began contriving other means to kill him. Hirani Kashipu could not kill his son by throwing him beneath the feet of big elephants, throwing him among huge fearful snakes, employing destructive spells, hurling him from the top of a hill, conjuring up illusory tricks, administering poisons, starving him, exposing him to severe cold, winds, fire, and water, 
or throwing heavy stones to crush him. When Yiranyakashipu found that he could not in any way harm Prahlad, who was completely sinless, he was in great anxiety about what to do next. Yiranyakashipu thought, I have used many ill names in chastising this boy, Prahlad, and have devised many means of killing him. But despite all my endeavors, he could not be killed. Indeed, he saved himself by his own powers, without being affected in the least by these treacheries and abominable actions. Although he is very near to me and is merely a child, he is situated in complete fearlessness. He resembles a dog's curved tail, which can never be straightened because he never forgets my misbehavior and his connection with his master, Lord Vishnu. Purport the word shuna means of a dog and shapa means tail. The example is ordinary. However, one may try to, however one may uh, try to straighten a dog's tail. It is never straight, but always curved. Shuna Shepa is also the name of the second son of Ajigarta. He was sold to Harishchandra, but he later took shelter of Vishwamrita, Harishchandra's enemy, and never left his side. 47. I can see that this boy's strength is unlimited, for he has not feared any of my punishments. He appears immortal. Therefore, because of my enmity toward him, I shall die. Or maybe this will not take place. Thinking in this way, the king of the Daijas, morose and bereft of bodily luster, remained silent with his face downward. Then Shunda and Amarka, the two sons of Shukracharya, spoke to him in secret. O Lord, we know that when you simply move your eyebrows, all the commanders of the various planets are most afraid. Without the help of any assistant, you have conquered all the three worlds. Therefore, we do not find any reason for you to be morose and full of anxiety. As for Prahlad, he is nothing but a child and cannot be a cause of anxiety. After all, his bad or good qualities have no value. Until the return of our spiritual master, Shukracharya, arrest this child with the ropes of Varuna so that he will not flee in fear. In any case, by the time he has somewhat grown up, and has assimilated our instructions or served our spiritual master, he will change in his intelligence. Thus, there need be no cause for anxiety. 51. After hearing these instructions of Shanda and Amarka, the sons of his spiritual master, Hiranyakashipu, agreed and requested them to instruct Prahlad in that system of occupational duty, which is followed by royal householder families. Yunani Kashipu wanted Prahlad Maharaj to be, a, to be trained as a diplomatic king in ruling the kingdom, the country, or the world, but not to be advised about renunciation or the renounced order of life. The word dharma here does not refer to some religious faith. As clearly stated, dharma hyasyo padeshtabo gragnanam yogrihamedinam there are two kinds of royal families, one whose members are simply attached to household life and the other consisting of Rajarshis, kings who govern with ruling power, but are as good as great saints. Prahlad Maharaj wanted to become a Rajarshi, whereas Hiranyakashipu wanted him to become a king attached to sense enjoyment, Grihamedinam. Therefore, in the Aryan system, there is Varnashrama Dharma, 
by which everyone should be educated according to his position in society's, in society's division of Varna, Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, and Shudra, and Ashrama, Brahmacharya, Grihastha, Vanaprastha, and Sanyas. A devotee purified by devotional service is always in the transcendental position above the mundane qualities. Thus, the difference between Prahlad Maharaj and Hiranyakashipu was that Hiranyakashipu wanted to keep Prahlad in mundane attachment, whereas Prahlad was above the modes of material nature. As long as one is under the control of material nature, his occupational duty is different from that of a person not under such control. One's real dharma or occupational duty is described in Srimad Bhagavatam, dharmam tu sakshad bhagavat pranitam, as described to his order carriers by Dharmaraj or Yamaraj, a living being is a spiritual identity. And therefore, his occupational duty is also spiritual. The real dharma is that which is advised in Bhagavad Gita. One must give up one's material occupational duties just as one must give up his material body. Whatever one's occupational duty, even according to the Varnashrama system, one must give it up and engage in one's spiritual function. One's real dharma or occupational duty is explained by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Jivera Swarupoi, Krishnana Nityadas. Every living being is the eternal servant of Krishna. This is one's real occupational duty. Interesting, isn't it, that a materialistic uh, father like Hiranyakashipu wants his son to be like he is. And Prabhupada used to note this, that although many young people came to him to join the Krishna consciousness movement, the parents oftentimes wanted them to come back to their materialistic ways, even if it included uh, drug taking and things like that. In fact, there was a cartoon somewhere that was circulated about some uh, kid who had joined uh, the Hare Krishnas and his parents are uh, beseeching him, you know, why can't you go back to um, taking drugs again? <laughs> Anything but this. And Prabhupada noted that, notes that um, although one goes through life and tries very hard to be successful in the material world, and I'm not saying one shouldn't try hard or do one's duty while one has to, um, still, there's an underlying understanding by those who are transcendentalists, um, which is symbolized by the syllables pa, pa, ba, ba, and ma, pavarga, which means that pa, which means um, that uh, one has to work hard in order to maintain one's the status quo in the material world. And interestingly, even when one becomes very wealthy, it just becomes a new status quo. Uh, it's usually the case that even though people get great wealth, they still work very hard because they get used to a certain standard. Material life is like that. We get used to it, and then it's, it's about the same for everybody. It evens out. It's not that because I have more material facility, I have greater happiness. Still, one has to keep working. And pa means finial that I have to work so hard that foam comes from my mouth, just like a farm animal. Sometimes you see foam coming from its mouth when it's pulling a cart or some heavy object. Pa, pa, ba. Ba means barishama, 
which means disappointment. That at the end, there's disappointing circumstances and the, the whole endeavor ultimately becomes a disappointment. If you follow it through far enough, it always ends up that way. And then pa means I'm fearful while I'm doing it because I could be lost at any time. I could be lost, my endeavors, my profits and all that. I hope I'm not depressing anybody. I'm just checking the faces to make sure nobody looks depressed. Radha Kripa Prabhu is okay. Manjula Kanta, Sukeshwari, everyone's smiling. <laughs> you like this? <laughs> okay. And then ma means mrityu or death. At the end, death comes and takes it all away. So there's, so there's this uh, phenomenon called pavarga, which is the material world. And um, so those who are engaged like this uh, grow up, they have children, and then they're defeated at the end. But then they want their child to follow in their footsteps and say, no, do as I've done. Uh, I'm not talking about spiritual parents. I'm talking about those who are dedicated to what Hiranyakashipu was dedicated to was being a Griyamedi, a Griyavrata. He has a vrat that I'm going to enjoy the material world no matter what. And then when he sees children trying to take the spiritual life, he becomes upset and says, no, do as I've done. I don't, don't become this spiritual person. Or if you do, just do it um, at the end of your life for a few minutes and see if you can attain perfection. And in the meantime, don't give up onions and garlic, <laughs> whatever you do. I mean, you know, this, I, this clinging to the material world and um, insisting that it's got to work, even when it doesn't work, is a kind of insanity. So Prahlad Maharaj was up against that. And it's a classic um, stance of materialists to want everybody to do the same failed program that they did. And interestingly, with all this torture that's being mentioned here, this is, we saw that within our own lifetime. When the, the Americans and Europeans started taking to Krishna consciousness, I actually don't know how much deprogramming took place in Europe, uh, but in America, I was very aware of it. Um, my parents, fortunately for me, were very uh, open-minded, so they supported me, but a lot of devotees were kidnapped because their parents paid for somebody to drive by in a car just grab them, throw them in the back, like you might see in a, you know, one of those spy movies, and then take them to a safe house where they uh, nailed shut all the doors and the person couldn't get out. And then basically just try to talk them out of Christian consciousness, only it was a kind of psychological and sometimes physical torture. They're so intent on this idea that one should follow the materialistic path. So, We've seen it manifest in, even in the beginning of the Christian consciousness movement. Uh, this kind of uh, bad behavior of Hirani Kashipu, wanting everyone to be like him. So there's this great divide that Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita, Yanisha Sarvabhutanam, that uh, what is night for all beings, Tasyam Jagrati Samyami, for a self for enlightened person, that's a time of awakening, and vice versa. Uh, the person who's waking up sees everybody sleeping and thinks, oh, you're wasting your time. And the materialistic person thinks the spiritualist is wasting his or her time by practicing spiritual life. Dharma syahya pavargasya, good to Diyaseva. You can come up with these great verses. And um, let's see, anybody else? Okay, let's just see if there's any reflections or questions before I move on to the next part.
and uh, we hear about it many, many times. So, um, you know, Richie, my, my Vartman Pradakshika guru calls me every once in a while, Richie Corsi called me a few months ago before the COVID thing. And, you know, just to say, and he always says Hare Krishna, and he always, you know, is really enthusiastic about it. Uh, and if somebody's chanting in that in Namavas, he's very enthusiastic. He, he says, that the, he says, if I never do anything good in my life, and I probably won't, I did one good thing, and I brought you to Hare Krishna. I mean, if somebody thinks like that, why won't the holy name, you know, give them some special um, accommodation, you know? So we just have to wait and see, you know, it happens at different, different times for different people. Thank you, Thank you. Hare Krishna. I also wanted to just mention that, as Gandhavika Mataji said, I think um, uh, many of us have had, uh, you know, so much of, uh, um, you know, negativity or no, don't do this. This is not something you need to do now. You have to do it when it is when you're 50. This is too early for you. You know, just you're not even married. You know, my parents thought I was actually going to take sannyas when I was in college. So uh, it, it, it's funny because they even Indian families they don't know that. Um, this is something, you know, that's, that's really good. And I would always chant without letting them know, go to friend's house and chant and things like that. But I was thinking that um, after all these years, now they realize that this is the best thing a person can do. Um, but, uh, you know, they have not taken it too seriously, but at least they appreciate what I do. But I was just thinking that it doesn't matter where you are, there are always people. <laughs> they don't really get it. <laughs> well, we could, this is the nature of a parent. Parents become very attached to their children. And we can see that in the case of uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his brother, his brother was old elder, and uh, he was a brilliant, great scholar. And he used to go and associate with Advaita Acharya because it was the only place that he found solace in hearing from a Vaishnava, a senior Vaishnava, who was actually preaching about Krishna Bhakti. Everything else uh, annoyed him. Everything, the way people were carrying on in Navadvip, uh, he was just uh, disgusted with the state of the world. And then he listened more and more to Advaita Acharya, then he decided to take sannyas, especially when he heard his parents talking about getting him married. So he left. And later on, when, when um, Nimai was associating more and more with Advaita Acharya, then someone uh, you know, had mentioned Advaita Acharya's name and Mother Shachi said, he is not Advaita, he is Dwaita. Because she was angry that he had preached to his son and made him leave, and now he was nervous. She was nervous that uh, Nimai would leave also and take sannyas. And for that, when Mahaprabhu was performing his Mahaprakash, everyone said, give pure love of God to Mother Shachi. He said, I will not give. She has offended a Vaishnava. I said, how is that possible? He said, she, he made it, she made an opera rod to Advaita Acharya, and I cannot forgive her. Only if she takes the dust from the lotus feet of Advaita Acharya can she be forgiven. So all the devotees went to Advaita Acharya, and they told him. And he said, what, are you trying to kill me? He said, this is impossible. She had the power to, to bear the Supreme Personality of Godhead Mahaprabhu within her womb. How could she make an offense to me? It's not possible. So they all brought Mother Sachi to, to see Advaitacharya. And Advaitacharya was meditating on her uh, exalted qualities. In fact, 
Vrindavan Das Thakur says, if anyone even says her name, Ayi, just uh, accidentally says Ayi, then uh, that person will get all spiritual credits. So when Advaita Charya was meditating on her exalted quality in ecstasy, he fainted. And that's the opportunity that she took to take the dust from his lotus feet, put it on her head, and then Mahaprabhu said, now she's forgiven and she can have pure love of God. So you just see uh, Sachi Mata, she was constantly worried about her children like that. So there's this uh, affection that uh, parents have for their children. But the fact is that when the child stays in Krishna consciousness, the best thing that you can do for your parents, because either later on they'll become devotees by watching you, and everyone comes to a point in their life where they realize, uh-oh, I don't think I can beat this material nature. <laughs> it doesn't look as good, you know, when you're 30 or 40 or 50, as, uh, as bad when you're 30 or 40, 50, than when you're getting into 60, 70, 80, and then you start realizing, uh-oh, what did I do? I just, and what did my child do? He or she was smart, and they can change. Either that, or if they don't, which happens sometimes, we find out at the end of this pastime that the Lord uh, gives benedictions to the family members, regardless uh, when the, when the uh, child becomes a pure devotee. So that's helpful also, and a good incentive to stay in the game. Thank you very much. Okay, let's see. We have from Govinda says uh, regarding parents not liking their children to take to Krishna consciousness. I got reminded of what you mentioned a few days ago that Prahlad Maharaj had a principle of non-cooperation with his father, but yet he was tolerant and humble. He was very powerfully instructive. Yes, good point. And there was one Vranavinkat Prabhu gave us the verse from the Veda base. And Divyanga Prabhu says, Krishnera samsara karachari anachar, jiva doi krishnanam sarvadharmasar. Thank you, Divyanga Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Any other reflections? Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. So I remember in the Mangalacharana we were reading, um, and in the translation of Srinivatam Sakata Krishna, this one line really caught my attention. It is about when uh, the line says, even after people have chanted, when they still have material desires in their heart, right? Krishna will take it away from them by continuous chanting and hearing. So that didn't really stuck because even after I've at least attempted to try chant and hear, I still have material desires. And so hearing that gives me faith that they'll eventually go away. Yeah, that's why the two policemen in Delhi one day were walking down the street of the neighborhood and uh, one of them was saying, you know, it's an it's interesting, we're trying to keep thieves away from here, but but uh, Krishna, the, our Ishtadeva, he's a thief. He's known as a thief for stealing so many things. And uh, the other one said, yes, it's true. These uh, householders here, they put chains on their gates and they put up high walls so no one will go in and steal their stuff. And we do that around our hearts also. He said, so it's a good thing that Krishna is the most expert thief. Even though I try to hold on to everything, still he's so expert that he, he can find his way there to pass the gates into the, the realm of our heart and steal these uh, anartas away. But it's best if we uh, give him uh, permission. Not that he needs permission, but if we make a plea that Krishna please take these things, then it's, uh, 
heart-rending kind of a process that we're giving this uh, acknowledgement that I'm, I'm um, asking Krishna to take away the obstacles that I'm so intent on holding on to. Thank you very much, Upper. That was a nice uh, reflection. And here we are from Sudeep. Um, sometimes if there is an opposition, there is a determination to practice Krishna consciousness, but when it comes easily, we don't have that much appreciation. That's from Shamrup. Yeah, as I see that within the, the Leela of Krishna, in the Rasa dance, there's a way in which those uh, gopis who were held back from meeting Krishna in the Rasa Leela got uh, <clears throat> complete purification because their anxiety level went so high that they couldn't go. They were being held back. And then the acharyas explained through the intensity of desire that that created, they became completely perfect. Okay. Oh, Hare Krishna Mukharvind. Very Govardhan Hill. Go right ahead. Sorry? I said, uh, I'm good to see you at Govardhan Hill. I wish I was there with you. It's by your mercy only. So, text says that uh, um, I really like the verse because in that uh, it says that uh, when Sandhana Marka was describing that uh, uh, particular line, I'll read In any case, by the time he has somewhat grown up and has assimilated our instruction or serve our spiritual master, he will change in his intelligence. So uh, even the, I always wonder like, uh, how the Asuras, they also know the secret that by serving the spiritual master, <laughs> that whole uh, knowledge can get assimilated and um, and can get, uh, I, I was reminded of Bhagavad Gita verse where it says like, uh, how the uh, importance of service is there by serving only we can assimilate knowledge. And so they were very sure that Marka, that if they serve their spiritual master, Prahlad may change his mind. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because that was uh, that was a known that was such a, a, a an important part of the culture. Everyone knew that, and we see also at the incident where Indra disrespects his spiritual master Brihaspati, that uh, Indra then realized his mistake because Brihaspati came into the assembly where Indra was being worshipped, and then Indra didn't acknowledge his guru. And then Brihaspati realized right away that Indra had become puffed up. And then he just disappeared. He turned around and left and he was gone. Nowhere to be found. And then Indra then suddenly snapped out of it and realized that he had made an offense. But he couldn't find his guru. And that's when all the, the woes came to the demigods. So that's made a very strong point there in that section of the Bhagavatam that that's, that was the demise of the demigods' power. Meanwhile, it says that the, the demons were worshipping Shukracharya. By the process of worshipping their guru, they became more and more strong. So that, that uh, culture is there. Uh, it was there at the time and everyone understood you know, how that worked. So yeah, it's an interesting point you bring up. Thank you. Guru Maharaj, how, how does this concept of an evil guru work? I mean, a guru is one who takes you on the path of enlightenment so a guru like shukracharya what is he doing and how is he uh, worshipable well he's a, a you know the i think he's mentioned in the 10th chapter of the bhagavad-gita and elsewhere shukracharya has been around long long time uh, well he's um the fact is that um 
he's mentioned as a um, Kuli guru. There's a, there's a, he's like a family kind of a guru. And there's, there are these, uh, a genre of uh, kinds of gurus. People worship them to get success in material life, not spiritual. Same principle is there. But the fact is that uh, the motive is wrong. And some gurus are um, like that. In fact, it's, it's very common, as you know, that um, you know, there's, there's a, a guru by ancestry that's not completely qualified. But then as has this, um, you know, there's all the trappings of worshiping the guru go on the trappings of the guru and so forth, but the motive is wrong. But the principle there of uh, worshiping the guru is, uh, remains. So with Shukracharya, you know, the principle of, of deriving a power from a higher source who's channeling it down is still there, but they're just getting something materialistic. Instead of when you get a, a Vaishnava guru or a pure devotee guru, the idea is, that you're getting uh, Krishna's mercy because you don't want any material thing. But is so, it an offense for the guru not to give them Krishna consciousness or clear understanding? Does he not yeah. take offense by teaching them the wrong things? Yeah, well, uh, such a person would also be wrong-headed. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're thinking that I'm doing the wrong thing. They're thinking they're doing the right thing. Either that or they're greedy, they can't see anything, and they're just, it's a, it could become a profession, you know, just to be in that role. So one is prohibited from doing that. The, the guru, as you said, is supposed to actually present Krishna consciousness so that tasma gurum prapadyeta jignasu utamam shabde brahmi chanishnatam brahman yupashamashrayam. A guru is supposed to be uh, steeped in transcendental knowledge and have no attachment to the material world. Thank you, Maharaj. That's very nice. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So, um, we, we have till 6.15, is that correct? Yes, Maharaj. That's correct, okay. Um, where did I leave off uh, for me? I think it was 52, we're on 52. We're starting up at 52? Yes, Mark. Okay. Thereafter, Shanda and Amarka systematically and unceasingly taught Prahlad Maharaj, who was very submissive and humble about mundane religion, economic development, and sense gratification. Purport. There are four processes for human society, dharma, artha, kama, and moksha, and they culminate in liberation. Human society must follow a process of religion to advance. And on the basis of religion, one should try to develop his economic condition so that he can fulfill his needs for sense gratification according to the religious rules and regulations. Then liberation from material bondage will be easier to attain. That is the Vedic process. When one is above the stages of dharma, artha, kama, and moksha, one becomes a devotee. Then he is on the platform from which he is guaranteed not to fall again to material existence. As advised in Bhagavad Gita, if one transcends these four processes and is actually liberated, one engages in devotional service, then he is guaranteed not to fall to material existence. Just more comment 
on this uh, point about the the guru and who's offering some materialistic uh, benediction, Manjula Kanta. So, yeah, just take the verse down for a second so we can see everybody. So the, you'll notice in the, in the Gita, Krishna says, Trigunya Vishaya Veda, Nistrigunya Bavarjana, Nirdvango Nityasattvaso, Nir Yoga Shema Atmavan. He says in the Vedas, three Vedas, he mentions, that um, there are prescriptions there for materialistic endeavors. They're in the three modes of material nature. In fact, there are so many Karmakanda sections there. These um, entail a certain kind of technology. In fact, if you look back at the system, the Vedic system, it's, uh, it's almost as if when you do these fire yagas, they have to be perfectly mathematically um, symmetrical. In fact, that's uh, according to mathematical history, geometry emanates from this, these yagas that were done, uh, Vedic yagas, because the fire pit had to be exactly right, exactly. And the priests had to sit in the exact place. The incantation had to be, uh, the tones had to be exactly right. So what this is really, it's a kind of, it's a kind of um, algorithm or a technology. You know, the kind of thing like where you put up a, um, maybe like a, an icon for a zip file. And from that zip file, you know, you click on it and then you're getting uh, infinite information. It's a channel really. Uh, that opens up to a higher kind of energy. Or, and so, you know, Vedic sacrifices also, besides being laid out in, a, in an exact form, because it, it's like, if you're doing any work in IT, it's got to be exact. There's, there's um, Dhamma Vilas Prabhu is showing us how in one of the companies he started, they put in a, a lot of money into some particular chip and one of the engineers was off by, you know, a, a ten thousandth of a, of, a, of a, you know, whatever the measurements are in the diagram. And then the whole thing didn't work. Memory was leaking out of, of the, the chip. It didn't work. So same thing when these Vedic sacrifices go off, there has to be an exact setup according to the Vedic process. The mantra has to be just right. As we know, you know, you mispronounce one one syllable, and instead of getting, you know, Vichrasur, who's going after Indra, Indra's going to go after Vichrasur. <laughs> you know, you got your, you got your code wrong there. These are this is code. This is ancient technology. It actually works. And so, in the process, you know, you have a priest. There's a Ritvik there that actually sits there and does. I'm not advocating some Ritvik philosophies. This is actually a term that comes from the Vedic system where there's a priest that sits there and actually does, does the right thing. It's like an engineer. You see, so, you know, this idea of uh, how energies are channeled through a guru, through a ritvik and all this kind of stuff, you know, this is um, from an ancient technology that was there. People don't understand it nowadays. They intuit it in many ways, but they don't understand exactly what it is or how that subtle science works, but it's all there in the Vedic process. Does that give more light to you about that? And then, of course, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with uh, spiritual science, 
it's the same principle, only you're receiving um, purified knowledge that's coming from Krishna through the through the parampara, through the guru. And that, that's uh, Krishna's technology. That's why he advises it and sets it up. And there's a way in which, you know, one divyam jnanam yato dadyat kuryat papas sangshayam tasmat dikshes satrokta deshi kais tattva Intelligent people know this process as divyam jnanam or receiving diksha, which includes not only getting uh, reliable spiritual information from your guru, but also receiving a mantra. And within that mantra, there's power because it's coming down through the channel, you see, and it's passed down. And if the mantra is coming down through the, the right channel and the, the guru is giving it to you with, with this uh, right intention and you take it with the right intention, then the, you're, you're being channeled. It opens up that channel to the spiritual world. Goloka prema dana harinama sankirtana. That's my zip file. There's your zip file. Thank you, Maharaj. So nice. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, these Vedic principles are all, you know, you can see them intact. And so if it's materialistic endeavor or a spiritual endeavor, you still, you still need a guru. And it's not some sentimental thing. It's actually technology, <laughs> so to speak. Channeling right to the spiritual world or wherever you want to go. That's the idea. Okay. We have time for one or two more questions or a, or a Reflection. Actually, just one more question because we're going to sing one more bhajan. We have some questions in the comment section. Mark. We do? Yeah. Okay, let's see what we got here. Um, Deva Vrata Prabhu said he liked the explanation of Apavarga. It seems like understanding fertility of the material world helps the devotees cultivate eagerness for Krishna if that sambandha is missing or weak. It makes it very difficult to take the ultimate goal seriously. Spoken like a true brahmachari. Yanisha Sarvabhutanam. Oh, I see. There's more down here. Uh, I was wondering how did your parents react? <laughs> and, and why do you think they were so open? I've realized why they were so open. I had some good karma for my last life. It, it was Krishna's arrangement. He opened the door for me. Otherwise, I mean, I mean, fallen useless living entity but krishna gave me some mercy that's all otherwise how could i have been born in the bay area right where prabhu was going to come the second time and then have parents who said you know hey if you'd like to become a Hare krishna monk and and forego going to you know finishing your high school then please help yourself i mean that, that was krishna's hand uh, directly in my life to to give such a fallen person an opportunity to you know, and somehow, I don't know. So, and their reaction was, I mean, they were obviously, um, they wanted me to, you know, just stay home and, and uh, become whatever. But um, they saw that wasn't happening and they gave me full facility. And in the end, both of them, um, you know, my mother got initiated and my father was, uh, he, uh, he was, um, he had dementia at the end, but he was still chanting and doing all kinds of stuff like that. I have videos of him chanting Nitai Goranga, um, you know, before he left. So they got the result of, of that. Uh, anyway, enough of that. Govinda, repairing. Did I, 
Did I go too far down? I think there's a question by Shikumar Prabhu. Where is that question? Shikumar says, we were talking about young adults taking up Krishna consciousness, their parents objecting to it, and children hid and became more trained devotees. How to handle the opposite, please, if it all happens? Krishna conscious parents who have young children getting into adulthood, that children take to material life and think my parents know nothing about other than spiritual life and hide and do things which take them away from Krishna consciousness. How is this to be uh, nicely handled, please? Well, um, the way to handle it nicely, one way is to understand that um, each living entity has his, his or her own volition. First of all, we don't own our children and we do the best we can. If even, um, um, Maharaj Anga, who is a pure devotee in his own right, Prabhupada said, could have a, a child like Vena, then anybody can have a child that uh, rejects Krishna consciousness. So we can't guarantee anything. And, and it could be, as Anga, it's mentioned Anga, then uh, he, out of disgust for the material world, after trying so hard, he gave up and, and just became detached from his kingdom and everything else. And that Prabhupada mentions it was Krishna's arrangement for him, so for his purification. So one way to handle it nicely is to ha take a little detachment pill and be under understanding when things don't go your way. That's one thing. And another thing is to just set a good example and do the best you can um, throughout the, the youth of your child. And then um, he or she will notice your dedication and and it'll come to bear at some point in his or her life so those are you know sort of obvious things but they're they do work so thank you everyone for uh joining and um keep the vibration going not to the armarman not to the armarman not to the armarman not to the armarman not to the armor man, not to the armor man, not to the armor man, not to the armor man.